What's up, what's up? Another Tuesday, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm here, Sapoon, with Braden, The Football Academy, quarantine edition. Finally, football's back. How's it going, sir? Yeah, it's real good. I'm glad to be back. I was interested that you led with another Tuesday, another podcast, because it's been a little bit. Uh, but it's it's good to do something, get some normality back, get some Premier League back, and I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, I kind of um, wanted to bring back the signature of how we always start, and you know, for sure, yeah, we've got a thing. Keep it going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think there isn't a whole lot else that has happened as far as um, transfers have been concerned, because a lot of um, in my opinion, transfers that are going to take place is getting moved. The transfer window is getting moved out. So it's kind of weird for me personally right now because um, it's June. I'd expect big transfer rumors, you know, big things to happen. So instead usually, we're here talking about the Premier League. Yeah, so usually Arsenal have agreed personal terms with the player who's going to end up somewhere else by the end of the window by now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. I think Nicholas Gatine and uh, Wesley Snyder are still on their way for the medical to United. Higuain's still coming. <laughs> so, yeah. But you know who definitely did show up this past week for the first game was Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Very, very interesting game. I think between two teams, Sheffield United kind of injury ridden right now. So you're not seeing the best of them. Um, watch me say that, and then them turn to prime Barcelona against us tomorrow. And then Aston Villa, like, they're looking like a proper team that should get relegated. And even with McGinn back, wasn't really a great contest to watch. Yeah, it was a pretty ugly <laughs> first game back. Um, both teams kind of looked pretty cagey. Uh, and, and there's really not a whole lot to talk about from this game, uh, other than the goal line technology and the bit of a kerfuffle they had with that. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting how they didn't really, uh, I don't know, I, I, they didn't review it, I, which I thought was interesting. Like, they just kind of relied on the goal line decision system, and yeah. when that failed them, there was no fallback and, and kind of nothing else to rely on, which I thought was interesting, and I wonder if that's something that they'll take a look at changing in the next, uh, you know, the next time they get a break to think about this. I mean, so that's the one, as you said, the one interesting that that happened. It could potentially cost Sheffield United a place in Europe because those could be very crucial two points. However, in my opinion, um, I saw this happen. I hope I'm getting the game right. It's Real Madrid against Ajax. When in the build-up to a goal, the ball looked like it went out of bounds. And the VAR, like, kind of checked for it. But then at the same time, they didn't want to overstep their bound, like, the norms that had been set up. So I think maybe for the Premier League, as it stands, they did not want to overstep their VAR's boundaries and be like, hey, this should be a goal. So it it was a very interesting moment for technology in football because you rely on goal line technology for goals, but you also had VAR. So... For the referee to be like, hey, my watch didn't say anything, so it's not a goal, when it was clearly a goal, was uh, one of the more interesting or one of the most interesting points of the midweek games, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't want to come down too harsh on it because I do think one of the interesting things of goal line technology is it allows, you know, the referee and the linesman to look at other things. Like they they don't have to be focused on whether the ball crosses the line. They can look and see if there's a foul somewhere else or something else that they need to 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 call. Uh, and this is just an area where it failed this one time. And I I think they'll go back and try to say we'll do better next time. And but this kind of is what it is for now. Yeah, I mean it's only the Premier League because imagine this had happened like in a England Germany situation the way Lampard's goal was cancelled in 2010. So yeah, could be a lot worse. But someone that was a lot worse than you expected them to be was David Luiz when he came on in the game against Manchester City for Arsenal. Quite. The characteristic 3-0 win for Man City against a not-so-good-looking Arsenal team, except for Mikel Arteta on the sidelines, who's pretty good-looking. What do you think? I, I mean, Mikel Arteta is always pretty good-looking on the sidelines. <laughs> um, I will say it's probably the worst 25 minutes I've seen from a center back uh, since the 2014 World Cup, which was also David Luiz. <laughs> uh, I mean... Um, I mean... I I don't want to be too hard on him there because we certainly didn't expect to to come into a match like that and you know Arsenal kind of had their whole thing the whole plan you go into kind of has to be thrown out the window when you've got two injuries in the first half hour of a game um but they didn't cope with it and you wouldn't I I wouldn't go so far as to say that it really necessarily affected the game that much because it's not like Arsenal were really showing anything different up until the when Louise came in there other than just giving the ball to City for a goal. But I I don't know. It it was it was obviously a bad first game back and doesn't look great. Yeah, I mean personally for me, as far as David Louise is concerned, if he doesn't make that mistake right before half and it's nil nil going into second half, I think it could have been, I don't know if I'll say like it could have been a whole different story in the second half, but I think there could have been a different mentality going into the second half. But again, like, as you said, the injuries kind of killed you guys. And once that goal went in and then David Luiz gets a red card, it's just kind of horrendous, in my opinion. And well, he signed, he signed a new contract. That's what Ornstein said today. So a one-year extension for him. I think I. So, so it, I'll be honest. There's going to be a knee jerk to that, but I don't hate it. Like I think he's an experienced guy who's good in the locker room, and I, you know, the the problem is not necessarily that David Luiz is in the squad. The problem is that we needed him to play against Man City. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think he was kind of out of place at the time, and I guess he didn't expect to play as much as he ended up playing. And, you know, it's Man City at the end of the day. Like, sure, they're losing to Liverpool by 20 points, but they're, be- I mean, they were bringing on Aguero from the bench. They were substituting, yeah. <laughs> you know, Mares and Sterling and Jesus and these guys just Bowden coming in. So I think it's, it's, yeah, still it could have been a lot worse. Like, yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think Leno yeah. played decent to make it 3 0 for that game. But, yeah. Later the season, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Another team that won 3 0 
I think Will would have been very happy to keep uh, say point to this game for that week. Southampton Football Club three, Norwich City nil. I don't know what happened. I mean, I guess I know what happened because this has been Norwich the whole season. First 10, 15 minutes, they play some nice football. They play good football. And then this, once Danny Ings scored, like they just absolutely fell apart. And, you know, Southampton looked the better side. They were very deserving winners. And, you know, good for Danny Ings. He's doing something for a lower team that we haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, so Norwich looks like a team that just have kind of resigned themselves to their fate. I was kind of hoping to see them come out and with this break be able to refocus and put in a little bit more fight, but that's that's not what that's not what's going on. Uh so they look like as soon as something as soon as adversity comes, they're going to completely fall apart. Not that <laughs> similar to the Arsenal team. Um but it's they're just not a team that is putting a whole lot of effort into things. And so, yep, good for Danny Ings. I, I wish Will was here to to spend a little more time talking about it. Um, kind of happy. And that's really most of what I got for this game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, the one thing I will say, it it's very telling for Norwich City when Timu Pukki, Buendia, and Todd Cantwell are like, most of them are substituted. And, you know, they're trying to do something else because it's like at that point you know that they've given up and it's i think mathematically they still have a shot but it's looking very very dark for them i just don't see a way based on based on what they've shown like they really needed that game against southampton because the fixture list isn't great and yeah. and that was a gettable game for them and especially at home not not getting yeah yeah at which I mean, I, that's interesting. I guess of it doesn't how, matter what's going to actually happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it does matter a little bit in the sense that you have a little bit of normalcy. Uh, but beyond that, it, it doesn't really. It's not the crowd. It's not all that sort of thing that you expect. Indeed. Talking about normalcy, the one thing that made me feel normal that Friday was watching a Jose Mourinho team at home against a big team. Who were there for the taking, to be very fair, in Manchester United. Just absolutely parked the bus, 10 men behind the ball, and killed the game from the first moment in. A 1-1 draw between Tottenham and Manchester United. I guess a controversial moment that could have ended in a Man United winner, potentially, if uh, VAR had not taken away Bruno Fernandez's. Is dive, contact, penalty, whatever you want to call it, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, there were a lot of claims about Pogba's goal, um, about Pogba's, I guess, penalty being a soft penalty as well. And along with that, you had De Gea making a mistake, or I guess not a mistake, but Maguire and De Gea not covering themselves in glory in that uh, Bergwijn goal. So all in all, I think United fans can't be upset about the result because it's one of the toughest fixtures left for them. Tottenham looked what a Jose Mourinho team looks like. What did you think? Yeah, there's a lot to... There's a lot that was interesting in this game to me. So I, you're exactly right about Spurs and how they kind of set out just to... just to try to get a 1-0, 1-1. They were very happy with the draw. And... 
I don't really understand the complaints about Pogba's penalty. He beats Dyer and then Dyer initiates contact from behind. Like it doesn't, there's nothing that says the contact has to be the sole thing that forces you to go down. If you get beat like that and you know, the, the way that the game is refed right now, you have to go down to get a penalty. So that's what you're going to do. And it was, it was a rightful penalty. Um, the the second one was very clearly not a pen. I don't think it was necessarily a dive because I don't think I, I don't think he even expected it to call. Like I don't think he looked and cl- claimed like, a penalty. Called for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like one of those. Oh, look how he fouled me! It's just like uh, he fell over and the referee made a terrible call, and thankfully VAR returned it, but. I, mean, I think the story of that one more is about the terrible call than VAR overturning it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess at that point, VAR is doing what it was supposed to do. But again, like, John Moss definitely did not cover himself in glory that entire game. We can talk about, like... It was bad, yeah. Like, Lamella out there was going through people. And then after, like, 40 minutes, the first card that comes out in out of his pocket is a yellow card for Dan James who himself gets fouled, and at that point, he just yeah. has just had enough, so he retaliates back, and there's a yellow, and I'm just like, I understand what Dan James did is not okay. Like, he just left the foot hanging to get the player down, but it's also like, you literally didn't call it when a guy from behind went through him. So it's like, a lot of the United fans, were frust- uh, fans and players were frustrated. I think you could hear a lot of the times McTominay just yelling at the referee, being like, did you fucking yeah. see that? So it was very telling. And I think one of the more interesting things for me was the Pogba Greenwood substitution. It was only 30 minutes to really see Pogba and Bruno together, but I do think they changed the game. Greenwood could have had his winner as well. But one stark difference between having seen Mourinho as my own manager for like two and a half years, as it's standard with him, and now watching an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer managed team. After the 80th minute, like after it was 1-1, the last 10 minutes, Spurs players did not look fit enough to be able to run. Like United, and granted, he only made two substitutions for Spurs and we used all five. But it's kind of like we had the energy, we had more momentum going in. And like, it's maybe Mourinho's fitness levels with his teams might be an issue when he is playing against bigger teams. Well, so I think it's also a little bit of their style uh, demands more energy consumption. Like it is harder to press and chase the ball and it is harder to do that sort of thing and just play a kind of negative style that they played against Manchester United. Uh, I'd I'd like to go back and highlight something that you mentioned about uh, the Greenwood and Pogba substitution. And a lot of people have kind of looked at Pogba and how that changed the game, but I think that an underrated part of it is is Greenwood coming on for Dan James. And I think that gave you guys an outlet on the right wing that just absolutely was not there because in the first half, especially of that game, if there was, if there was not a ball immediately to Dan James available, it just kind of stopped. Like there, there wasn't that entire flank was gone. But once but once Greenwood got on, you know, you you had more space, the front line was a lot more mobile, and 
you know, you, you had pockets of space that Pogba and Bruno could go, could go into and operate a little bit more out of. And I think that really changed the game for you guys. And I think that's going to be more of the path forward for you, uh, you know, this next couple months or so. Yeah, I mean, I think against teams that sit back, Dan James does lack that quality. I think that Greenwood can bring. I mean, I don't think it's very fair to compare the two of them because I think Greenwood's just this. I think he's a golden boy for us and he can be something special. Whereas I think Dan James is much more like a very good Premier League player. So as you said, I think Greenwood coming on definitely made sure that if when a Pogba went out there, the center back had to actually go out and worry about him because otherwise Greenwood would be open and the right back can't just leave him alone. Because with Dan James, they were leaving him wide open at times to be like, hey, what are you going to do? Like, we dare them to pass it to you and we'll see what happens. So, Well, that and Juan Bissaka when he came up that flank. Like, it's, I mean, they gave them all the space in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the trademarks and why someone like a Sancho has been linked so heavily with us. Because on the right, when you look at Man United, it's like Juan Bissaka shuts down anything that comes. But going forward, he is not really a modern fullback like that. And then on top of that, you look yeah. at Dan James, it's like when there's space for Dan James to exploit, he does very well. So against the Liverpool, maybe when... Uh, actually, against Liverpool, he had that brilliant run that gave Rashford his assist. Yep. But when there's a team that's just going to sit back, I don't think it's a game for Dan James to be starting. So, yeah, I agree. That would so. I guess we both agree that Greenwood should be out there, and hopefully we will see more of that. Another English golden boy right now, uh, not really a golden boy, but the England starting left back with an absolutely brilliant goal for Leicester City, Ben Chilwell. What a goal that was! And then Watford coming back and scoring one of their wonder goals, and it was just like, y'all really waited ninety minutes of nothingness. And then gave us like two very decent goals in three minutes to like end up the end the game at one one. Yeah, it was the Chilwell goal especially was incredible, and that's probably a good sign of why someone wants to get him out of Leicester uh, this upcoming window. I, but I, to me, it's an opportunity lost for Leicester. They they should have gotten three points from this game and they just didn't in the end. And you know, when you look at XG, it's pretty even between these games. Like it, Lester kind of continued their little bit of flatness. Yeah. I mean, they, they still have not really reproduced what they had going um, before 2020 started. And we can touch base on that in their later game, but Leicester city just does not look like a cohesive unit. Something that they did that made them kind of be this number three team in the Premier League and be at the best of the rest position for such a long time. And I like, again, I guess Watford away is a tough fixture, but like without fans, I don't really expect it to be as tough. But I guess credit to Watford for not uh, giving up and getting the goal late on. But as you said, Leicester City, not, not very um, bright signs for them as things stand. Um, but hey, I think if Man City does get their ban, I think they will end up getting Champions League football. So there's that. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Moving along to the next game, had the Amex, Brighton two, Arsenal one. I mean, it was 
Leno got hurt, and as as you as you corrected me, no, no, yes. no, 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 no. Muape hurt um, Leno by going for that unnecessary like that would be an unnecessary roughness in NFL, in my opinion. And on, it's a straight red. In yeah, rugby. I mean, like I don't know why what he was trying to do. Arsenal reco- seemed to recover well, and like the Nicholas Pepego was kind of stunningly brilliant. Like, and he, it's a, it was and a yeah, he's goal. capable of providing that, you know, with his left foot. So hopefully, it's it sparks on better performances. But then, like Lewis Dunk, and I think we were all talking about it when I was just like knowing Arsenal Wap is going to score and. Yeah, like in set, two minutes after the allocated additional time, he ends up with the winner. What are your thoughts? Uh, so uh, you kind of covered most of it. Uh, we should be talking about a world-class strike from Nicolas Pepe. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, I couldn't really believe what I see, saw, and I hope that this is the start of him going back and making some people regret what they posted about him online earlier. Um, we should also maybe talk about Mape's foul. But to me, like, I look at this game, and there have been only four games this season in the Premier League where a player has committed six or more fouls and not gotten a yellow card. Two of those times were in Arsenal games of players committing fouls on Arsenal. And I just, Leno's injury is a direct result of that. And I don't understand. And and I'm going to drive this home in another game that we talk about later. I just don't understand refereeing in this league. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, And then, when Mape's goal was two minutes after the allocated injury time, it's just like, of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, um, it's one of those things. But, Go you know, ahead. but, you know, it's Arsenal not getting the job done at the end of the day. Like, that, that's really all it is. It's just kind of a continued, just when it comes down to, when, when it comes down to crunch time, they just don't really seem yeah, to Yeah, I mean, it. I think that's, I guess, it's a harsh way to look at it, but that, that I guess is the way to look at it given what happened. I think VR probably should have looked at the Leno situation, and it was very surprising to me that it wasn't until the ninety, like the end of the game, pretty much, when Gwendozi showed a little bit of an emotion towards Moape because it. I didn't love that. I, I would have rather like that's the sort of thing that Do needs it in to the happen heat of the moment. in the game. Like when it happens after the game, yeah, it's just sour grapes and and it, I, I I think it also takes uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. And I think this is the sad part, and this is something that I've seen happen a lot with Arsenal for a while, where they have young talented players, and like Pepe looks like he can be an absolute baller, but. The way the team is going, he he's what twenty four, twenty five right now. So this team, yeah. I think, is about two to three years away from like really challenging for anything big. Like if everything goes according to plan, and and by challenging for anything big means like being back in the top four regularly and like being in the Champions League. 
Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. you need Champions League so like, <laughs> And by that time, like, Pepe is 27, 28, and all of a sudden it's like talks of maybe if he has been playing really well, somebody else wants to come in and buy him. And it's one of those things for me where I see the quality that Pepe has but the rest of the team is kind of a little bit younger that he can really take advantage of. And the news that came out today with Martinelli potentially not being able to play for a while is also gutting because I really like Martinelli. I really rate him highly. So, you know, it's yeah, nothing seems to be going in the right direction for Arsenal. And it, I also feel sorry for Arteta because it's his first job. And everything that could have gone wrong, like, seems to have gone wrong with him. and. It, yeah, yeah I mean, it's been a hell of a Especially, ride, like, with COVID, sure. again, like, if you have had experience, like, dealing with players for a while and, like, actually managing games and managing teams for a while, you can adjust to things a little bit better. But for someone who's a first-time head coach in general, I think it's a much more difficult task than some of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's a little bit of a... A leveler, though, because no one's really ready for the situation where everyone takes, you know, six other than managers who have been in leagues with winter breaks. Like, that's the closest thing that you can compare to this. But no one's really ready for, you know, six to eight weeks off. <laughs> and how do you get a team and not just like not playing a league games, like no training, nothing. And so I, I think that. I was hoping to see a little bit more of this. Well, I don't know. That's harsh because I, I do think you saw some things in Arsenal that were interesting in this game. You had Bellerin tucking in and playing in central midfield, and there's a little bit more of a style that you saw, and that kind of all went away once yeah. Leno got hurt, uh, which is kind of the same thing we talked about with City is once some adversity came along to Arsenal, it just all kind of went away. And that's it, that's got to change. I, I, I don't want to say this in terms of comparing the two clubs or anything, but it reminds me a lot of um, Liverpool, like late 2000s, early 2010s, where if one small thing went wrong for them, they didn't really, like even at that point, they had the Gerrards and the Carragers still playing. Even they would have a hard time like really recollecting themselves and like trying to go for it again. So... I think you have missed a leader for a very long time and it's very evident on the pitch when things go wrong, there's nobody to be like, hey, like, trust in me, things are going to be okay. And uh, I think one of the bigger name, bigger things that you need is a personality in the playing 11 that can actually make that happen. But we shall see how, we shall see how things change that. for you guys moving forward. Something that definitely is not changing right now is West Ham United's form. They looked dreadful before the break, and I expected them to have somewhat, somewhat more of a fight once the break was done. Wolverhampton Wanderers, once him and Escort, that was pretty much it. I mean, comfortable 2-0 win. Yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot else to talk about this one. I, I kind of thought with you, West Ham would maybe with the break would come out and refocus and, and, and kind of get some things together, but I, it doesn't look great for them right now. And probably the only good thing is that it doesn't look that much better for some of the other yeah. teams. That I mean, are down granted, there with them. I think we'll talk about it on the preview podcast. 
if they lose and again and like the other teams around them win games they could very well end up i think 19th if the results don't go their way so we it's kind of trying times for west ham yeah like i, I think not out i mean it. they haven't been out of it for a while but i think it's just gone in a very bad direction for them and could be one of the teams to look out for um in terms of saving from themselves from relegation um, another team that is out there in the relegation dogfight right now that I definitely did not expect when the season started is Bournemouth. Uh, Tuna lost to Crystal Palace. I mean, I don't really have a lot to say. I'm very kind of shocked at where Bournemouth are, but it's not really a surprise because things seem to have caught up to them. They have made some horrendous transfer decisions as well. And here we are. Yeah, they've had a lot of things that haven't really worked out for them, and I don't know what else to really say about that. Like, they're just a team that... I, they were also kind of one that I thought maybe would use this time to get back together because they, they've always been a very close-knit unit and always worked hard under Eddie Howe, and I thought maybe they would turn that around, and they did not in this game. And that's yeah, that's got to be a concern. And good on Crystal Palace to actually capitalize and win the game because they, they have also left a lot of points on the table when they have been up like this so good on crystal palace bournemouth you're starting to concern me so maybe will was right eddie Howe might actually get fired i highly doubt that though i i still don't think that's happening i i think they can go down in his job yeah i, I think it'll, it might come down to there's an opening somewhere else that he wants I think that might end up being the way that he leaves. But if if they go down, that is. But I think it, it's a fascinating prospect. Yeah. I could see Bournemouth not necessarily fighting yeah. that hard to keep him. Um, but I, I don't yeah, think I mean, they're I, going I, to sack I agree him. with that. I doubt Bournemouth outright just sacking them. So moving along to the Sunday games. A bright 3-0 win for Newcastle United over Sheffield United. It kind of was sad for me because um, I had like, really touted Dean Henderson before this game and then ends up conceding three. But again, like Johnny Egan, that was a hor- that was an absolutely stupid way to get sent off. I think it was unnecessary, both the yellow cards. Yep. And then Newcastle ultimately ended up capitalizing on the chances they had gotten. I think Dean... Dino did well to keep some of them out, but down to 10 men, it was surprising to see Newcastle play that well, but good on them. Maybe uh, the Saudi money coming in would be not such a bad thing for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that Newcastle are a team that has the just the pure talent and athleticism up front that if you get stretched, they can punish you for it, right? Like you've got Almiron and St. Maxim, and they are both they're both really really fast and if you are trying to cover those with 10 men it gets tricky and i i think that's what happened is sheffield went down to 10 and just couldn't really cope with newcastle's you know, quality and physical ability up front uh maybe it's a little bit of a I, I was kind of worried for sheffield coming off of this break and not worried in the sense that i necessarily care that much but um 
they're a team that to me thrives so much off of the connection they have with the crowd and had such a strong momentum uh, through the first of the year up until this point that once they kind of took the break and once we heard that there are going to be no fans, the, to me that said that might be a little bit of a problem for Sheffield. And I think this might be the first little data point towards that that says that could be a yeah, little bit I mean, of concern. They'll be something Man to watch. United tomorrow, so should be an interesting game to see. And I think as far as Sheffield United goes, they overall as a team they're just not the same as they were before. I think injuries have played a part, obviously, but again they play this very counter press, center back press system that you know, it works when it's working, but when it doesn't work, it, do- it doesn't look very good. So, I think nothing else to really say. Yeah. Good on Newcastle, though, for a 3 0 win. Rare to see them score three goals nowadays. Uh, moving on to yeah, sure. the big game in America Aston Villa playing, Un- I was about to say playing United States of America, playing Chelsea Football Club. Um, Aston Villa, like, it was a very typical Chelsea performance, in my opinion, um, who ended up winning the game 2-1. The first half, they controlled all the possession. They had a lot of touches in opponent's half, final third. And Aston Villa just took the lead. And then once Pulisic came in, there was more movement uh, in the box. And uh, Giroud with the winner in the game and Christian Pulisic with the equalizer. So Lampard, big uh, big time decision to bring on uh Pulisic, I guess striker is happy talking about Captain America. So, what were your opinions on that? Yeah, so I'm going to go straight to the thing that frustrated me about this game. Uh, Jack Grealish was fouled nine times in this game. He committed one foul himself when he finally got frustrated with it. He got a yellow card for it. And then the first time that Chelsea gets a yellow card is in injury time when Conte just takes them out to stop a break. I, go, going back to kind of some of the things I said earlier, is I just I don't understand refereeing in this. I, in this I completely league. agree with you on that though, because Jack Grealish is More probably so- one of the most foul players, if not the most foul player this year, because that's how you stop Aston Villa. Oh, I. I so I looked it up. Uh, so far this year, he has 140 fouls against. The next closest is Wilfried Zaha with 98. Like, it is nuts when you look at it. And I, I just, it's so clear that teams just set out to foul him. And I don't understand why someone doesn't step in and say, you just, you, you just can't do this. <laughs> uh, but, this is kind of where we are. And it, what was frustrating to me is that as soon as he gives it back a little bit, and it wasn't, like, it wasn't even a hard challenge. It was just, you know, he gets frustrated and kind of leaves a foot in a little bit. And he gets the yellow card after enduring all of that. And I don't understand. If, it, if you're going to let them play and do this, it's a man's game thing. Uh, it's got to be both ways. Because it's the same thing I had with Dan James. When Dan James got frustrated by this bullshit, yeah. he, he's the one who I mean, gets the I, I yellow card I think that's a very fair point. And Grealish, as you've said, like he also attracts a lot of the attention because I think there's enough on that Aston Villa team where like, if you let him just create, 
either he's going to come up with something spectacular or like they're going to end up scoring. So just take him out every single time. And if it's different people, they don't necessarily look at the consistent fouling of a single player and let players just keep fouling him. So I will keep a more closer look at that. I have noticed it a lot. I have, I didn't know the stats were that lopsided towards him in terms of how much he's been fouled. So um, again, Chelsea, I think Lampard and bringing in that English mentality. Yeah. I mean, to, to go back to the game a little bit, I, I do think that uh, you saw an immediate change once uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek was like, subbed off back from, from an injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he really did. And I I think it's more of a he's not a forward, he's more of a midfielder, but he didn't really look like he was going to contribute much yeah, I anywhere can, I uh, where he that. was. And I mean, I, again, like credit to Pulisic because they had the runs that were being made, but ultimately it was him on the back post, like making that late run that ended up giving them um, the equalizer. And I think that's what they have been missing throughout the season when Pulisic is not out there. And maybe with their signings of Ziak and um, what's his face, Timo Werner, things will change a little bit more. But it. Very, very yeah. interesting signings again for them. We'll talk about it at a different time. But Chelsea, again, one more team that's moving in a forward direction. I'm not going to say the right direction, but they're moving forward with their plans. And it's going to be interesting. Yeah, for sure. It, I, I think this was a little bit of a, hey, yeah. guys, I'm still and, here. I mean, big money signing uh, last January. So we shall see what happens. Um, something yep. that was... Te- a terrible performance, but a terrible game to watch as a neutral, or as neutral as I could be in this game. Um, Everton playing Liverpool. I, I don't really have a lot to say, except for the time Davies hit the woodwork, could have won the game for Everton. Would have been a nice result. I think Liverpool without Salah look like they're playing without their striker, which they kind of are because he's their main goal scorer. And yeah, I think Richarlison probably played a very good game after talking shit about Van Dijk. Yeah, I mean, I think Everton were fine. Liverpool, are, Liverpool were clearly just kind of—I don't want to say going through the motions because I don't think they're doing that. But I mean, let's it be honest: and Liverpool don't have. Yeah, uh, there's no and urgency. I think that that's Liverpool. kind of why, like, they played the game that they did, and you saw like Salah just not play at all because of, and they gave me Mino a chance who looked decent. So again, they, I think Klopp could very well use the next couple of weeks until the end of the season as a tester to see which players he wants to keep, which players could be gone. And, you know, uh, ultimately, I don't really have anything else to say. Everton apparently are the only team in the top five leagues that are yet to lose a game in all competitions. And somebody pointed out that they're only in one competition. So, yeah, that's that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Good moving them. on to the next game. Manchester City 5, Burnley 0. I mean, Burnley's game plan was to basically do what Sean Dyche does, sit back, try to absorb pressure. Once they conceded the first goal, that kind of went out the window. And great goals from Riyad Mahrez and uh, Phil Foden. And yeah, I think before the game, I was very intrigued with the bench because they had the likes of Jesus, KDB, Sterling, everybody just sitting on the bench. 
And you still have players like Mares and Aguero, still Phil Foden, still starting. So, you know, shows you the depth of the team that they really have. And once Burnley concedes against a good team like them, this is kind of a result you expect. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say about this game. Um, yeah. I mean, once when there, City there are in that kind of uh, mood and they're scoring goals, I think there's very less to say about teams like them. Uh, moving on to the two games today. The first one, Leicester yeah. City at home against Brighton. Again, like Leicester City, it's three wins out of 11 in 2020 in league play. And the the closest they came to scoring was when Matt Ryan almost fucked up a like a throw into his own team. So almost threw it into his own goal or like Vardy almost snatched up. And that was it. Like I didn't find the game very entertaining. Like it was not a very exciting game at all. And Leicester keep dropping points that I hope Manchester United can capitalize. Yeah, I so this is another game, and granted, most of this was a penalty that was missed by Mafe, which did my heart a lot of good. Um, but Brighton beat Leicester in XG 1.1 to 0. 0.5, and I it's it's continuing a trend for Leicester of they just the advanced metrics do not like them, and they they got a draw, they got the point, and it's not like Leicester need to to have some incredible form to get champions league next year. But if they keep doing this, they run the risk of being really dragged into a fight that I'm not sure they're ready for. And with what's likely going to be a shorter time between, you know, the, the 1920 season and the 2021, I'll be interested to see how much this carries over into the next year. Can they get out of this? And what what does this do for picture? Because if Brighton continue this form into the next season, and they don't have a way to snap out of it, that could get really yeah. ugly. Because I Leicester mean, I, I got out to such a hot start. Their fixture list is also not great. I think uh, the last day of the season, um, Chelsea takes on Wolverhampton Wanderers. Leicester City host Manchester United. So I think those two games could es- essentially be. The winners of the two games go into Champions League and the losers of the two games go into Europa League. So I th- I think if you're a Leicester fan, it's kind of annoying yeah, awesome. as much as frustrating because it's like at one point they were very clearly the third best team in the league for this year. And all of a sudden now they're getting dragged into this whole mess. But another team, I mean, that we have talked about in Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspurs, a very unconvincing performance in my opinion they had their chances but it needed an own goal to really kickstart things for them and then harry kane finished off the job and finally scored in 2020 and yeah i I don't really have anything else to say it's west ham united i expected more of tottenham and kind of surprised they only won two now yeah it's looking at xg it it seemed like Spurs deserved the win. Uh, so it's not necessarily that, it, you know, they just kind of mulled through it. They were 2.24 to 0.83 in the XG. Uh, and so I know Harry Kane coming back, he's, he's healthy again when it looked like he was going to miss the whole season earlier before COVID-19. 
and maybe Tottenham can get some things together. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I don't, similar to what we talked about West Ham earlier, they just, these first two games have not looked great for them and they are going to need to find some, some sort of form in the next, in oh, the yeah. next few games. I think, I gonna think they would be the be in a lot of trouble. outside shot of the team that does get relegated that is currently outside of the relegation zone. I don't really have much more to add. I think good for Harry Kane. It'd be interesting to see if Mourinho can um, get Spurs lined up the way he likes to. But that kind of brings us to an end for all the games that have happened so far. And uh, yeah, it feels good to be doing the podcast again. And it feels good to be talking and watching football again. So um, that's it for me. I will be back with the preview podcast that we will record to give you more betting tips that you might need after wasting all the money on food during quarantine indeed so we'll be back with the the next episode we'll see you on the other side cheers episode we'll see you on the other side cheers